Hi, I'm Rachel, and this is Get to Know You. I'm here with Melanie Shaw Cox. <laughs> and we're here to talk a little bit about her life and how she got to where she is. So my first question for you today is, where did you grow up? So I grew up um, just outside of Pittsburgh in a town called Butler, Pennsylvania. Where did you go to college and what did you major in? So I did not travel far. I went to Pitt. Um, I had an older sister that was at Pitt already. So I had a little bit of like a comfort zone available to me there. Um, And I originally went planning to major in social work because they had a five-year master's program that allowed you to go from social work into theology. And so my original plan was to be a youth pastor. Whoa, that's so interesting. Yes, especially because I eventually um, started researching evolution. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people think of those as kind of dichotomous. You can't be both. Mm -hmm. So it surprises people to know that I started out in in a very different trajectory. What made you change to psych? Um, psych was actually not my first immediate change. So I was taking my social work classes and I just found that it wasn't for me. Um, and so I had taken a course in my gen eds um, called Sex and Evolution. It was the first time that the theory of natural selection had ever been presented to me. I was not taught that in high school. And it completely blew my mind. So I, the course was actually in the anthropology department. So I started talking with that anthropology professor and really became passionate about some of the research that was being done, particularly on how evolution might have changed and shaped human behavior. And so I changed my major to anthropology initially. Um, And at the time it was really unfortunate, but I can see in hindsight that it was probably a good thing. That professor ended up moving to um, the University of California, Santa Barbara. And I was devastated because I wanted to do research with him and he was my mentor. And he um, told me to go talk to somebody in the psychology department who's also interested in evolutionary psychology. And so I started talking with his colleague, Don McBurney, and we started to do research together. So I picked up psychology as kind of a second major since that was where I was going to be able to do the research. It's so interesting how yeah. it works out. Yeah. Um, how did you get to the job that you're at now? Um, hard work and some <laughs> luck. Probably more luck than than hard work, um, although there was a lot of work. Um So after I graduated with my psychology and anthropology degrees, I went straight into grad school um, and I applied to programs that I could continue to explore evolutionary psychology. Now, evolutionary psychology is kind of like this, this child of psychology that doesn't fit well with any parent group. So some evolutionary psychologists are considered social psychologists, others are considered biological psychologists. We have developmental psychologists that study development from an evolutionary standpoint. So I was kind of applying to all different kinds of programs and even some anthropology programs. And um, I ended up choosing a program in Albany, New York, and the it happened to be nested in a biopsychology um, sub-discipline of psychology. 
And as I was there, I started to dabble in some of the other labs, mostly because they paid better than just my graduate assistantship. And I started doing um, some research with animals and hormones, and I sort of fell in love with the neuroscience side of it. So I ended up doing my thesis where I kind of combined evolutionary theory with um, some tools of neuroscience. And that's kind of what landed me in this biopsychology space. This is kind of a two-parter. Okay. Um, were you ever, ever worried you were making the wrong decision? And I was just thinking about this when you were talking. Like, what do you think led you in your decisions? Do you think it was just like mm. you kept, you were interested and you kept following that interest? Mm-hmm. That's a really good question. Um, and I, so let me first say, did I ever think that I was making the wrong decision? And I think you make decisions based off of the information that you have now. And where when we worry, it's because we know that in the future we're going to have different information. But we cannot possibly predict what that different information is going to be for us. So a great example is, you know, when I said I applied to different programs in evolutionary psychology, I landed in this one that was like in this biopsych group. But that actually was meaningless to me. And now it has defined who I am as a professor. But at the time, I didn't really care. I just wanted to work with that one person. My other option was to go to Hawaii and work with somebody who was in the social psychology area. Um, and so, you know, in the dead of winter in Albany, New York, was I sometimes regretting not being on the beach at Waikiki? Yeah, but I had a really amazing experience um, in Albany and it, it really very much changed the path of what I was studying, how I was studying it, the different tools that I was learning. Um, and so I think where I've landed in terms of making decisions is that oftentimes there really isn't a wrong decision. It's about what you do with the choice you make. Do you make the best of it? Because certainly there were times when I first got to grad school, I was lonely. I didn't know anybody. I didn't like Albany, New York. It, it was cold. And I was like, I don't think I'm going to keep going. But I ended up eventually learning the area, eventually meeting new people, eventually like you put the work into whatever ch choice you make. And so you make the best out of that choice. And so I don't know that there's ever a decision I made that I would look back on and say, I would not have made that decision, I think. And that's helpful to me when I'm making really big new decisions now. I think, you know what, once the decision's made, you just got to make the best of that choice. Mm -hmm. That's a really good way to look at it. Um, what goals do you have for the future? Oh, wow. A lot. Um, I'd say my number one goal is to raise good human beings in my children. Um, another goal that I would say is more short term is to um, be more productive in my research life. Um, and I also have this sort of like weekend homesteading gig that I do. And so we're always trying to like find new ways to grow food and raise our own meat and build this lifestyle. What made you want to do that? I think we've always enjoyed gardening. And when we had kids, we wanted to get them more and more involved. And um, we 
have a house that has property that allowed us to start exploring that a little bit more. And so just year by year, we added more pieces to that puzzle. And then we started, we really care about the treatment of animals if we're going to be consuming them. And so we started to think more deeply about that and how we could be a part of raising our own meat um, and, and making sure that it's done in a humane way. And so, yeah, I, we just add a little bit more pieces to it every year and it's grown to almost a, like a second full-time job. <laughs> How do your kids like it? They love it. They love it. Right now we have uh, 36 baby chicks um, that so we will butcher ourselves <laughs> and eat. But right now, like, they get, they get to see the whole process and mm. it's beautiful. They get to help us plant our food and then enjoy watching it grow and getting excited to see all the different stages of it and I think it's really good for um, something that's rare with children right now which is just delayed gratification so it's one of the few things that the you don't have a choice you have to be patient um, but it also allows them to learn to appreciate the moments that get you to the end product mm -hmm. um, and the work that goes into it. And so I think it's just an amazing opportunity to teach them something really, really important about life. I feel like that is a really good lesson, especially like with today's kids and everything like that. I feel like a lot of times kids aren't really bored. Exactly. And like if they go and watch the carrots grow, like they're going to be bored. Yeah. But it's like over time. Right. That's what, what really matters. Right. And it's cool to like teach them to be excited about the little things. So you planted a seed and 14 days later, which is a really long time for most of us, you go back and you see this one little tiny sprout. And to be like, guys, come here. Let's look. Our bean is bean is sprouting and they're like oh my gosh it's really cool to see their faces light up at something so small mm -hmm. but yet like such a cool concept i love it yeah um how has the way that you approach life changed since you graduated college or grad school or either i think probably the biggest change i would say is my concept of time um I think when I was an undergrad, I was a very typical undergrad where I didn't manage my time very well. I didn't plan things out a week ahead of time, even sometimes days ahead of time. I kind of flew by the seat of my pants, but I was able to do good work under pressure. Mm -hmm. um, almost that, that probably hindered me more than anything. Um, and so... Now I very much have to plan and um, I, I don't necessarily look for that kind of instant reward of you write a paper, you turn it in that the next day and you get the grade um, and you're kind of done and move on. I, I look at, you know, how can I have multiple iterations of something so that I can put out maybe my best work as opposed to just get it done. Um, and I also think that that understanding of time is important for the, the types of goals that I set. So as an undergrad, it's just like survive, you know, till the end of the week, because I know I have a test at the end of the week. And now I think much more long term of like, how can I build something over the course of a semester or over the course of a year or multiple years? Um, whereas the idea of thinking about a year or two or three 
when I was an undergrad felt like such a long time and it felt like I would be a totally different person by, you know, that time. Mm-hmm. Um, and even if you think about freshmen coming in and thinking I have four years of college, you feel like that's so much time, but it's really not. It's so crazy. Cause I remember coming in and being and seeing all the seniors. And even like, I think now when I left high school, how I was like, I wonder if I'm going to make any friends. Like, I don't know what it's going to be like. And it's so scary. Mm-hmm. But now I like, can't imagine leaving yeah and I think that when you start to take that long view a little bit more um it makes it harder to put things off Mm -hmm. so when I was in college and I was always taking the short view I think when opportunities presented themselves I would think oh I'll have time to do that later and now I realize that now you have to kind of make the most of whatever's right in front of you Take the time to be present. Um, Take the time to go ahead and get involved in that thing. Because um, before you know it, that's going to have slipped past you. Mm -hmm. I was just thinking about this, but did you did you ever think that you would be a professor? Like I was thinking with you wanting to be was did you want to be a pastor Mm -hmm. or youth leader? Mm -hmm. That one of my best friend's dad is a pastor, and I always talk to him about how like. I, he's like made for the stage and all this stuff and he was saying that to me and he was like I'm so lucky because every Sunday I get to like teach to all these like talk to all these people and they want to listen yeah do you kind of feel like that's the similar with teaching it's kind of like a similar absolutely not I when I went to grad school I was a hundred percent all about the research um and we you know if if we wanted to supplement our pay we had to teach And I was so nervous. I didn't like speaking in front of crowds. I had given a sermon before at my church at home. And I remember being so nervous about it and and not feeling like I could do that well. And so then when I started teaching, I realized how much I loved it. And so it was one of those things that I never, if I had had the opportunity to avoid it, I probably would have avoided it. But because I was forced to do it, I found out I loved it. And so my first job after I graduated um, with my PhD was actually just a teaching job. Um, And so I called it like my teaching postdoc because it was a visiting professor position at Pitt. And all I did was teach and I loved it. And not having the research side of things made me realize how much I really wanted to do research too. And so it, it took a little while for me to find that balance. But I don't think if you had asked me in college if I would be a professor, I don't think I would have ever thought I could be it's funny because Jeff Dyke says the same thing oh really biopsych mm. there's something in there because mm. he was saying that he like speaking in front of people and stuff like that and now he's able to do it in front of 80 80 people all these people yep. yep and I feel like it like makes you grow a lot too to be able to talk to everyone and not be so self-conscious because I yes. feel like that was always the thing for yes. me it's like everyone thinks I look weird and everyone thinks this yeah and I think that there's um some um, you need to develop some content knowledge to be able to do it well also. And you also, I've found that I had to develop some humility to do it well. Cause I used to approach teaching like, oh my gosh, I need to know everything that they might ask me. I mean, need to have an answer to it all. I need to over-prepare. Um, and it would make me really anxious. And now I'm much more comfortable if a student asks me a really great question or Maybe they know something about this that I don't. I'm perfectly comfortable saying, I don't know. And that's okay. Mm -hmm. Um, And it took me a while to learn that. But that's helped 
alleviate some of the the nerves I think that are associated with the public speaking and in those moments of anxiety if you get them still like how do you work through that breathe I I very much am conscious of the fact that if I let my sympathetic nervous system take over then I'm not going to be able to think while I'm teaching and that's really important it's important for me to be able to kind of pivot if I need to, where I'm not like on autopilot, it's also important for me to be able to read the room, to know when my audience is with me and when they aren't. Um, and, and so the best way that I can engage my parasympathetic system to calm that down is take a long, slow, deep breath. That's one of my favorite things about psych, I feel like, is how we learn like how the body works. Like mm. I remember you telling us with test anxiety, if you let it overtake you then you can't recall any of the information right so being aware like I feel like for me that helped me so much with tests being like okay I can be a little anxious a little bit is maybe helpful if I let it over consume me it's not going to help me in any way exactly and like I think those little things in in cognitive psych too I feel like I learned a lot about how my brain works Mm -hmm. and so like being aware of how your brain and body works is so interesting because it helps you like control your anxiety and control different things. And I learned about sleep with in my senior seminar. So I know mm-hmm. like if I'm on my phone before bed, it's going to cause this and this and this, mm-hmm. you know? And I think it's so interesting. Very cool. Um, what is a piece of advice that has helped you throughout your life? Oh, I've had a lot. I, this would be hard for me to narrow down. Um, one that I feel like comes to mind a lot with teaching and with my research lab Um and, and even in my home life is that a lot of conflict is due to unmet expectations. And that comes in a couple of ways. It could be either that um, somebody didn't rise to your expectations, but it could also be that you didn't communicate your expectations well enough. And that we can avoid a lot of conflict by having discussions up front about expectations. Um, and whether or not it, they're even feasible to be met. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's something that I've has kind of changed my approach to like, my research lab. We have a meeting at the beginning where we build a set of expectations for each other. Um, and, and it's helped to guide a little bit of my communication style personally. I like that. Yeah. That's a good idea. And what advice do you have for me going on to the future? I'm going into research and also with future graduations in different generations. Graduates. Is it graduations? Graduates. Um, gosh, this is hard. It's hard to, like, give one nugget. Mm-hmm. We can give multiple if you want to. I think one of the biggest things is that we worry so much about things that we actually can't control. What we can control is the opportunities we take advantage of. We can control our mindset when we take those opportunities um, and whether or not we're going to go into it with an open mind or with a positive attitude or be frustrated and negative. Um, And, you know, if you go back to what I said about just... You, you can't make a wrong choice. You just have to make the best of the choice that you made. Um, I think that, that what I would tell people to do is just try it. Don't expect it to work the first time. Don't expect uh, 
that things won't change. In fact, if you just expect change, if you expect growth, that growth has to come from somewhere. There has to be that seed before you can have that plant, right? So I think probably the best advice I would say is like, be okay being that seed and being, being willing to absorb knowledge from others, listen to others, and that will help you grow. But don't be set on, you know, what that ideal future is and that if it's not that right now, that it mm-hmm. won't ever be. Because I don't think anybody, I think it's very rare actually that people know what they want to be, decide on it, and, and work towards it and never pivot. That's something I've that. discovered too. And it, for some reason it feels like that's how everybody is around you but then when you actually talk to everybody it's not that way it's rarely that way yeah and I feel like you actually helped me so much figure out what I wanted to do because I had never really thought about research Mm -hmm. as like a career but I remember in one of the classes one of our first classes when you shared your study about like the hormones and everything Mm -hmm. with that I was like this is so cool and I was like wait you're actually really cool and like a normal woman like I I I am human right (laughs) we all are I imagine researchers as like these like science nerds like in the back of the room you know but like I feel like and I always imagined it as like men I feel Mm -hmm. like and so I saw you like you doing research and you doing like research for women and like Mm -hmm. discovering this stuff I was like that is really cool and really interesting and you can like really explore all these different things yeah and it's not just in one way because I never really thought much about it but I realized when when you had shared your study that I had such like a stereotypical view of it yeah yeah we we kind of um narrow our sights depending on what we've been fed Mm -hmm. and so that's where I I encourage people to just be open to absorbing all the information not just the information that gets peddled right to them it's so interesting yeah well thank you so much for talking with me absolutely thank you for having me